Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, episode 57. I'm your host, Pavel Bermensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information and additional content, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Chris Enns. Chris is a financial planner and opera singer. He has spent the last 10 years as a performing artist and learned the hard way that ignoring money doesn't really work. He is the founder of Rags to Reasonable, an advice-only financial planning and money coaching firm that specializes in working with creatives and people with other non-traditional financial institutions. Chris, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited. Uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, interviews with uh, advisors serving typical niches, and uh, so I'm really curious to dive into some of the non-traditional financial lives and, and how you help uh, people. So let's jump right in. So tell me a little bit more about your firm and, and what you do typically do, and who do you typically serve? Definitely. So my firm is called Rags to Reasonable, and we firm, I set it up, it started because my background is in the arts field. It started as just a place to help people like me. I think that lots of advisors start that way, right? You know, people that are from that field say, this is where I see the need and these are the people that I can talk to. And so for me, you know, the arts aren't exactly a world that is renowned for their financial acumen, at least not by reputation. And yet there's a lot of problems, a lot of really specific problems in my own like small part of opera there's a ton of financial complexity. You have singers that are working all over the world, you know, cross-border taxation issues added to variable income. It's not by any means simple. So I started dipping my toe into that world as I started to gain confidence around my own finances by making a ton of mistakes and, and just realizing how much there needed to be a voice there and there needed to be some more support. And, and of course, this is one of those things where once you find that you're working on that, you find that there are lots of people working on that. There are lots of people in the arts field that are arts kind of specific accountants and all these things, but I didn't see, there aren't a ton of financial coaches and planners and kind of taking that broader view. And so that's where I ended up. And, and the branding is kind of, I say branding, really, I've learned that the people that are gravitating towards me are, are a little bit bigger than just maybe the artist world. And so I've kind of started talking a lot about the idea of money misfits or people that are outside the traditional conversation. It's been a real learning curve for me to realize who identifies that way. Because for me, one of the things that I see in the financial conversation a lot is that there's just a huge group of people that doesn't connect to the way that money is normally talked about. And inside that conversation, sometimes it feels like we lob stones outside and say, you have to change in order to understand money. But that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so the challenge was to say, how can I learn to talk to these people who are not currently connected, but definitely have to deal with money in their normal lives and, and have to deal with money and, and sometimes have varying degrees of complexity, but just don't understand it in the traditional, don't connect to it in the traditional way that lots of people in the normal financial industry are kind of working with people. Absolutely. This, this, this is really fascinating because, I mean, you've done this so 
well. Yeah, I mean, you started with opera singers. I mean, just you have, so you can immediately and instantly connect with the market. And then you notice, well, there are other, other people, as you call them, misfits. I really like this term, right? Because that basically allowed you to kind of expand the cir circle a bit better and see, wow, this market is actually much broader and, and it's definitely not going to be served by, especially the, the main financial institutions in Canada because I mean they're not, not they're not geared for something like that so we'll we'll get into it in a second just uh, some of the nitty-gritty details about that but tell me why does this business exist right because you're still an opera singer maybe a lot less than last year or two years ago and so on so wh why does this business exist for you specifically why does this work matter really the, the the truth is is that I started looking for some diversity in my own life at a certain point in my operatic career and that honestly came more from um, the need for mental and emotional diversity than necessarily, at the time, the need for financial diversity. That's not just not how I was thinking at the time. I just, for me, doing opera full time was really stressful in terms of just having one focus. And I wanted something to balance my life out. Growing up, I always grew up, uh, I grew up on a farm in Manitoba. And so I always had farming, kind of working with my dad. And then I would do singing when I wasn't doing that. And so there was this balance that ever since I had left Manitoba, I was trying to find again. And so that's really my kind of initial interest in learning about money a little bit and, and figure out some of those things. So it started out that way. And then I wanted to take more courses so that I could talk to people better. And then I wanted to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. And then so certification kind of came from that place and it came from learning more about what the demand was and, and how I wanted to fit into it. And so the business, it didn't start as a, I want to start a business. It really started as I want to learn more about this for myself and, and to kind of talk to people and start a conversation and then slowly became something that I didn't know that it could be a business, specifically something that could be something that fit with my singing, something that I could do remotely, something that I could do from all over the world, something that could fit in with how I wanted to live my life. So that kind of became a slow evolution. And the noble way is to say that, you know, there, there is a need for this. And within our creative community, money is such an estranged thing. And for me, that's, it's a frustrating thing because I think that artists have this real reputation of being bad with their money. And artists are like every other community. Some are bad with their money. Some are incredible with their money. But the thing that we have living against us is that everybody tells us that we're bad with our money. And so a lot of people don't even think it's possible. And so we're fighting against a lot of these negative beliefs before we even get started. And the truth is the things that make people great artists and really good at their craft are the exact things that are going to make them great at their finances, creativity, discipline, the ability to take technical tools and really funnel that into a broader purpose and message. This is what artists are built to do, but they haven't been given the permission to do that in their finances. And so that's where I find the work really exciting to say, everybody has said to you for your entire lives that this is not your space. This is your space. Take this space and make it your own because that's what I feel like is going to be a real game changer in, in the creative sphere is this personal finance confidence that I think can be built. Really fascinating. So yes, I absolutely agree. I mean, there is this kind of stigma that you know, artists are not good for, with their money. I'm so glad you clarified that some of them, you know, just it's a natural distribution. It's normal distribution, maybe skewed to one end to the other, but some of them are going to be really good. Some of them are, are, are actually not. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, you know, can we say about you know what an average artist is? I mean, it's hard, right? Because like to me, I mean, if you're 
I don't know, an accountant, engineer, you know, there's a lot of similarities between, but I don't know the artist world that much, but I think, I mean, they're, from what I know, I mean, it's really hard to capture an average artist, right? Because you could be an opera singer, you could be, uh, I don't know, uh, an actor, right? Like there's, there's so much variability in terms of, you know, income and how do you really make this work? So, yeah, so, I mean, you've uh, kind of um, explained how you sort of started, you know, again, Manitoba Farm, then opera, that's a huge jump. Then, you know, financial planning and, and finance, that's another huge jump. So that's really, uh, it's really awesome. But uh, it, it's kind of nice to see that the business school is kind of a ni- nice wrapper around how you, as you said, how you want to lead your life. And I think you're, I think you're a really great example for your clients, just, you know, how you're able to actually make this work yourself. And, 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 but I don't want to infer, I want to ask questions. So, so, so let's get into the whole process of, you know, advising those kind of clients, those kind of financial mis- misfits. And maybe uh, what, you know, a, a part of arts, I mean, what other typical, what are other typical cases of, of people who basically they may, as you said earlier, they, they may not have those kind of typical traditional financial lives. Uh, can you give us a couple of examples? Totally. I think that one of the biggest draw to people working with me has been, as far as financial thing, is variable income tends to be something that connects people. So 95%, 90% of my clients are people that experience variable income. And so that's a really big group right there, much bigger than the creative sphere, but variable income being a large part of it, because that's a huge block for people in the getting started process of getting hold of your finances, right? It's really hard to figure out how to save, how to pay off debt until you figure out some kind of cash flow, like creating a cash flow system that lots of people have innately. If you have a, a salaried job, you have that stability. And so there's an extra step to build up in between and, and a fairly complicated step sometimes for people's lives to say, how do you turn this instability into a bit of a clear cash flow for you so that you can make decisions about how much to save. So you can make decisions about how much you need in retirement, all those kind of things. So um, the groups of people that, that are kind of digital entrepreneurs, um, that's in multiple niches, you know, but people that kind of are one person businesses online. I think that I work with a lot of sole proprietors, small businesses. There's some in corporate individuals, but generally kind of like one person businesses in lots of different spaces. Um, Often the second thing that I think would, would kind of connect is variable income. And then people that working online or, or working with a lot of travel, there's a certain digital nomadness or a certain kind of element of not being tied to one place. So if you want to talk about variable income and then variable expenses being two of the things that are really common. And of course, that's two giant pots. But I think that lots of people find me through those kind of spheres and then, and then kind of in the other side, but if you kind of want to understand how, like what some of the, what are the kind of some of the tying together of the different client bases, especially the ones that come out from outside the creative sphere, because as you well know, the best way in this business, I, I would imagine that money for the people that tell you is word of mouth, right? It's your clients telling their friends that this really worked for them. And then there's no better referral system. So Working out from the arts world definitely is the lion's share of, of where my business comes from. And a lot of that just from people having good experiences. But from, pe- from the outside, it seems to be that how do I get control of this variability being a major, major issue that people want help with. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, I mean, that's that basically, uh, you know, tells me that you have to be so much better uh, at managing cash flow, your personal cash flow, than people who have typical, you know, sal- their salary, right? They know exactly what the paycheck is going to be. It may be lower than, for example, it's, uh, you know, in, in, if you have uh, ability to basically generate a lot more income, but it's going to be lump sum. Let's maybe, you know, one or two or three months, for example, in a year. It's, uh, that's, that's really interesting. So given this uh, backdrop, so what is your process of advising clients? I mean, you have clients that basically have, I mean, there's this common thread of variable income as you add its variable expenses, which makes sense. But I mean, they're different, right? I'm sure it's much easier for you to connect with maybe artists because through opera and because that's kind of the, the area that, that you know quite a bit. But so how do you sort of go through the process, your own process? What do you do first? Let's say there's a prospect. I mean, there is a, you mentioned word of mouth. Somebody mentioned, hey, you should check out Chris. He's great. And he's going to help you get your money under control. What is your, you know, sort of first step, and how do you understand their situation really quickly so you can see, okay, this is a good fit. I can help them, uh, and this is what we're going to do for them. Great question, and and I know that your audience likes kind of these real specific. So I'll be as specific as possible because this process won't be as, you know. So it's the idea is first of all, there's a um, there's a couple of different ways people can make initial contact. So I do have a getting to know you form um, that people can fill out that has, I'm not even sure, 10 or 15 questions or something like that, that kind of gives me a general idea of what kind of help they're looking for, what kind of background there just gives me just kind of a general sense. And so people can also send in an email or there's ways to, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me. However, people want to kind of make that first initial contact, the more information I have, the better. But the second step is always, if I feel like they're looking for work that's bigger than an email, I always think about like, if I can answer the question in an email, great, amazing. That's like the last thing I want to do is try to trick somebody into working with me more intensely when they have a question that I can, I can answer really easily. So that first initial context saying, okay, you were looking for some wider work. Let's set up a first initial call. And so that'll happen on Zoom. Like I said before, uh, all of my practice is online. And so part of that is because my clients are all over the place and often all over the world, really, because they travel a fair amount. And so juggling time zones is an, is an issue that we have to do. And I'm happy to have some admin support that I don't have to do time zone math anymore because, man, that caused a lot of problems. So making that initial contact is, is the first thing. And then we just talk. And really, that, that first meeting is all about getting to know each other. So I have lists of questions that I ask a ton of questions, but it's also about making sure that people understand that I feel like my job in that first contact point is to connect them to the help that they need. If that's me, great. If not, it's about me saying, okay, you actually need a great accountant right now, or you're not in my wheelhouse. I know this great advice, only a financial planner, go talk to them or go talk to them. Like that's, that's really kind of my initial point is about trying to say, where can I direct you? If I feel like I can offer a lot of value, then I'll, I'll write up a proposal and kind of deliver that to them and then they can make the choice. But when I'm talking about clients, like I generally sort clients into two big pools as far as how to work with me. So coaching and planning. And I know that like everything in the financial planning world, we all have our own definitions for these things and exactly kind of how they fit. But for me, I consider coaching working on stability right now. So if you're working on cash flow, a cash flow proposal and kind of trying to get in control of your money right now, that's coaching to me. So building stability is about providing a coaching relationship and trying to stretch that stability over a longer period of time. So saying, okay, you're feeling pretty good right now, but how can you be okay for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years? To me, that's planning. So coaching is about stability and planning is about sustainability. 
So really for lots of people, the, a lot of, a bigger share of the, the work that I do is coaching. It's a, as I was kind of getting my, my designations as well, it's a good place to start because it's just where you can offer the most value as you're trying to wrap your brain around all the things that planning has to kind of plug in. So a lot of my work is variable income coaching. So the process around that is what I generally do with most people. And, and there is like the reason I like to meet with people and then provide a custom proposal is that different people are different. And I'm always looking for, I think that one of the most important things we can do as practitioners and as guides is to make sure we're always listening to say, what is actually helping? How can I change this? What are like, what is actually working and what is my system? Because it's important to have a system. It is. But at the same time, it's important to keep on feeling out and not trying to fit everybody into the same system because I think that that's tricky as well. So generally, a, a traditional coaching proposal will often look at working with somebody for a year. I really feel like providing support for somebody for a longer period of time has been something that I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from clients on. And so we work more intensively in the first period. I generally do four or five coaching sessions where we basically build a cash flow plan together. I really feel, especially with coaching, that the thing that I emphasize, and this is something that fits into lots of creative people's language as well, is that we're not building a plan, we're building a technique. So really talking about craft and saying that, yes, we're going to build a plan, but what we're actually working on is building the craft, the questions and the series of steps that you will follow through to remake this plan over and over again. A little bit more teaching the person to fish than just kind of handling the, handing them a basket of fish. And I think that's more possible with coaching. Planning is a bit tough, right? Because there's so many aspects. You can still take a bit more of a collaborative idea to it, but it's, it's harder to say, okay, and then you plug the you know, future value calculation here, and then most people don't care about that as much. It's a long-term engagement, right? So I really like the, the, the distinction that you've made. I mean, this is you know, short-term. It's more kind of coaching. It's stability. I mean, this is kind of emergency department. You have an open, you know, broken your leg. I mean, you need to get, uh, in some cases, help really quickly. And if you can help them, and especially, I mean, you sometimes you might be able to provide a lot of value in one meeting, but usually it's, as you said, it's about the habits, forming the certain habits and certain procedures, and then building tools or help them to basically be sustainable. And once this ends, so this is this is really interesting. So once this sort of process ends, when when it may take, you know, for some people a couple of months, maybe six months, I, I imagine, or right? maybe for some people even longer, right, depending on their situation and the complexity of their affairs. But then they can uh, sort of graduate to the financial planning aspect, right? So which is basically, uh, do you find that typically people at some point when they get uh, or regain their stability in the financial uh, in their financial affairs, they sort of uh, reach out to you say, and talk about, hey. I think we are under control, you know, situations under control. How can we sort of benefit better from your advice and, and, and sort of improve our lives over not just, you know, one year or, or, or a couple of months even, but just over next, as you said, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. So all the way to retirement. I think that I'd love to be able to answer that question really definitively, but this is where the newness of my firm of three or four years means that I really think, I believe that that will happen. I think that there's a space in between those two things. Lots of the clients I work with are quite young, um, often in their 20s and 30s. And so that stability, you know, forming that stability in the first year, there's a period of time where they're just living in that stability. They're kind of working on housing, saving for short-term things, all those kind of things. I expect because the relationship, and this is something I was taught by some of my mentors, is that the relationship expectation that I set up is I'll call you every year 
this is a direct quote from one of my, my dear mentors. They'd be like, I will call you every year until you tell me to stop calling you just to check in and say like, that's not something that's, uh, that's in an engagement or anything like that. But my expectation is that I'm in your wheelhouse is like, I'm your person. I think that a lot of people are looking for that, especially people that gravitate towards a one-on-one relationship and are not DIYers. Cause I don't really work with a lot of DIYers. I work with people that want to help. They want to like walk through with a person. And so they're more tendency to be like, I'm just here whenever the next thing comes up. And so I expect, and it has in a couple of engagements with some of my early clients kind of like, yes, the questions get longer. And that's such an encouraging thing as a, as a financial guide to just say, oh, that's great. I'm so glad that you're the time that you're worrying about is stretching. That, that makes me happy because it means that you're not as worried about next month. You're now the capacity to stress out about five years from now. And that makes me happy. So that, that's, that means that things are moving a little easier in the short term. So this is really interesting, right? Because I thought this graduation process is going to be much faster. But as you point out, I mean, that for some people, especially if you're working with somebody who is, you know, has a digital practice or a digital firm, it doesn't have to be financial services, of course. It can be anything. I mean, initially, it's going to take them uh, some time to get the business up to, uh, up to a certain uh, level. But I mean, some of those businesses are extremely profitable and, and they can grow extremely fast. And especially what's happening right now with COVID, I think those kind of the uh, businesses are going, you know, e-commerce, for example, is booming. I mean, airlines, I mean, well, they're struggling. I, I think this morning was uh, uh, was final, the final confirmation of the bailout. I think it's, what, $25 billion in the U.S., right? But on the other hand, some of the e-commerce businesses uh, and, and some of the infrastructure, uh, some of the companies that provide us infrastructure, for example, like Shopify and, and or Amazon and so on, they're actually benefiting from this trend. So so let's talk about the other aspects. So, so people who basically take you up on the engagement of financial planning, do you find this is more a typical process? They kind of, they're just looking for somebody who is maybe fee for service service or, or, or advice only as, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of terms and I think we talked about with some of some of the, you know, fee-for-service uh, advice only uh, planners. Uh, do you think that, that that side of the business is kind of more more typical or, or more predictable? It's might it's closer to the typical, uh, I would say, engagement or, there, or given your client base and given your niche, is, do you see still some really interesting cases, especially as you are planning with variable income and variable expenses? I always feel like most of the people that I work with are working with a financial person for the first time. And so they don't necessarily come to me and say, fee only is extremely important to me. I'm angry about this. You know, they generally say, I need some help figuring out retirement. I'm like, I want to kind of figure out these kind of questions, whatever kind of questions have been mulling around in their head. And then I have the responsibility to show them kind of how I would do that. And then they decide if that's acceptable or not. And it's not that because I work with people outside of the normal financial conversation, I just, I don't find myself having that discussion as often. And I find myself introducing that discussion more often, just explaining this is how I work. It's honestly, if they're more used to that style of work in other parts of their lives, it doesn't seem as strange. You know, they're not they don't necessarily say, oh, my financial advisor at the bank is assets under management and there's this MER. Like it's, sometimes that comes up. And I'm not saying, I I don't say this in terms of being like, oh, they're non-financially literate and all these things. It's just, what I find really exciting is that when you talk to people that aren't inundated with the financial conversation, the way they ask questions is sometimes different. And so they aren't necessarily asking the questions that we've been programmed to ask because this is the financial institutions have told us that this is how we're supposed to solve for X. 
And so you kind of have an opportunity to really say, oh, okay, this is how you're asking it. And how does this work? As far as how I work, it's, it's fairly traditional. It's the way that I was taught. I, you know, my, some of my mentors are from the spring financial planning team. And so lots of my, Sandy was the one that kind of showed me that this was a path for that could happen because she was working remotely. Um, she, she really showed me the path and, and the whole team there, Julie, has been incredible in terms of just really giving me a place. And, and I'm still, I do pair planning and associate planning for spring plans. That's the, one of the places that I've been able to cut my teeth working on more complex plans without having to be responsible for the entire plan. Because when you're learning, it's, that mentorship is difficult to find when you don't want to go through a traditional financial institution. And so they've, they've been invaluable there. And, and so there's a similar process to them. I wouldn't call them necessarily traditional because I, I think they're exceptional in the business and they are kind of blazing trails. So to me, it's more conventional in the way that I have not come up with kind of my own financial planning template and kind of process but it's heavily influenced by them who are at, at the forefront of the advice only financial. Absolutely. I remember, I mean, we've had Sandy and, and Julian on a podcast a while back, and, and I've, I've been in touch with them for a while. They're fantastic. And I think this is, this is fantastic that you mentioned that you actually work with them, and, 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 and that really helps you to sort of solidify the more complex cases, because financial planning is tough, especially when you're doing advice only work. There's so many different situations. You can, sure, you can tailor your some of the process to your practice uh, based on clients that you decide to work with and so on. But still, I mean, there, it's, uh, there's a lot of complexity there. So this is really interesting. So, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, referrals. And, and uh, so how do you think about growing the practice right now? I mean, just, I mean, you have a great website. I mean, there's, you're part of the podcast as well. And do you think most of what, or uh, do you get, uh, let's say, more prospects or leads through just some of the uh, uh, just online venues? Or there's maybe, uh, you know, there, do you see this kind of stronger referral uh, from existing clients? This is kind of so interesting because, I mean, I always think about marketing challenges, right? And when you're running something that's that's not very traditional practice, I mean, you have different challenges, but you also have different opportunities, right? You can you can lean into something that that uh, more traditional. I would say heavily compliance limited practice is not able to do, right? So it's workshops have been very big for me. So the ability to throw work, to throw workshops, to have workshops and, and to really work with arts organizations that are open to that and, and, and looking for that kind of programming. So partnering with arts organizations all around Toronto and doing workshops for them and their members, um, their participants, doing a lot of that has been really helpful, especially because the thing about word of mouth and, re mouth and referrals is, yeah, they're great, but you need to find the people in the first place. And then you need to, that's not a quick way to do things. And, and it shouldn't be quick. It should go slow. It's just like, I, I'm, this is the farmer in me is that just like things take a certain amount of time that they take, right? It's just, and good things take time. But as a business, you need to fill that time with actual cash flow as well. So workshops have been very, very helpful for me. It's something I really love to do. And it's one of the few parts of my practice that I do in person. But it definitely is a really nice opportunity to be able to be physically in front of people to show them exactly what it's like. Because one of the things it's, it's all well and good to say, I'm going to go work with people that aren't, nobody's going after, but you have to make a market there. And that's, that's not a quick thing either. So you have to show people what you do. You have to try to explain to people kind of like how you can help, how this might fit into them, how you can speak to them and how, and to start kind of 
deprogramming. Deprogramming sounds very sinister, but I'm going to stick with it because it's the only word that I can think of. But some of those stigmas and beliefs around, oh, why would I work with somebody around my money? You know, how would you help me? I, I'm always going to be bad at it and there's never going to be enough. What's there to work on? You know? Exactly. It's more building awareness, right? Or, or basically showing that there's not a way and rebuilding that kind of, kind of aspect. So this is really interesting. Exactly. The arts way of saying it would be, it's about telling stories. And this is the marketing way to do it, but as well, it's just to say, how can we tell a different story into this space? And how can we, one of the, the words that I absolutely love, stolen from a, an expert that we talked to on the podcast, while Ian McNaughton, he talked about introducing respectful doubt into people's beliefs. And I love that. So the idea of saying, you think that there's like that money is not your thing. How can we introduce respectful doubt into that belief to make you think that something else might be possible? That's awesome. Respectful doubt. So this is interesting. Now I'm really curious and um, uh, about attending some of the workshops because, you know, you have the artist background, you focus on stories, which is amazing. This is how people connect, really. And and uh, if you want to have a good message, I mean, the, the stories are, are really important. So and you get to do this in, in person, right? So, so I mean, it's not just the voice and maybe the video, right? But it's just the full uh, sort of range of, of being with somebody uh, in, uh, in real time. So this is really interesting. So, I mean, the one thing that I'm thinking when I'm thinking about your business is that, I mean, there's some large financial institutions and they are, they're completely not set up for people who you can help. And, and it's just, it's, it will be so awesome to see this kind of uh, a, a, an arrangement or even a referral or, or, or not, not a referral in the traditional sense, but kind of more, hey, we can help you, but there is Chris or there is somebody else who can help you right now. So that, that will be, uh, that just makes this uh, ecosystem a much better place. But anyway, this is, this is what I'm thinking right now. Well, no, but you're completely right. And I think that one of the things that we need to think about more in the financial space is that the answer cannot be that we talk about money in one way. I don't feel like I've found a better way to talk about money. I don't know how to talk about money with engineers. I'm not the right, maybe there's some engineers. I'd love to talk to any that want to, but honestly, probably you're going to find a better, I have some lovely financial planner friends who are engineers that can probably speak to you better than I can. And to speak to doctors, and it's not always career-based either. It's the way people think. It's, where's the financial language for visual learners and kinesthetic learners? Where's their way into this? And so as an artist, what I'm interested in is how do we tell this story in a different way? The fundamentals are the same of retirement planning, of insurance planning, of cash flow planning, but it's not getting through and yelling at people to say that they're not intelligent enough to understand, which is the most non-generous way to say kind of how we talk about it sometimes is not working either. So how do we say it in a different way? Like in theater, they've been telling the same stories, the same, what, seven, 10 stories for the last thousand years. So there's a lot of ways to tell the same story, but we're not working on that. And that's one of the challenges that I find really exciting in this field is to say, okay, how can we tell it that's not a spreadsheet? Just for fun. Maybe it's not effective. Maybe it is. But can we admit that maybe there's another way to tell this story and that it's a really important thing to start experimenting because people aren't being reached? And just to look in your own community and your own way of understanding things and ask yourself, how do I want to say this a little bit different? And, and how would that resonate better? And then listen and see how it's, how it's kind of coming back to you. 
I really like that aspect of uh, really finding the story. Men should not, uh, you know, some some of the things are not getting through. Uh, I have a three-year-old at home, so I definitely uh, I'm testing different messages, and some of them are not getting through, but some of them are, and that's that's so positive and uh, and surprising sometimes. But this is really interesting, right? So it's, uh, I mean, again, I mean, human uh, nature is the same for has been the same for pretty much, you know, not centuries, but thousands of years, and it's it's about finding a way and, and uh, of of basically explaining some of the things, but in different way and just tailoring again to who those people how do those people think and and then the other thing is which you mentioned is there's distinction between you know you mentioned doctors and engineers i mean not probably most engineers are very you know similar most doctors think the same way but there's some people who actually have maybe different way of approaching things right so even you know those kind of more traditional uh, careers you'll find people who you know learn differently or appreciate other aspects of it and they gravitate to somebody for example like yourself so we've been talking about, you know, so there's a lot of things that uh, you've done so far that's that uh, help you build a really solid practice. If you're going to say, you know, just to think about one or two or three things that that kind of help you get a little bit more success. I mean, you mentioned mentorship and so on. What would that be? What what? How would you attribute your your you know, getting to the point where you are right now? And what do you think impacted basically positively the growth of your practice? Yeah, I think I'll start where with what I mentioned already. The idea of mentorship was something that I. When I look back, I just don't know how I'd have done without it. And it really is one of these things. If you're if you're somebody, you know, a young business, not necessarily a young person, but trying to start in this field from scratch. Because for me, I'd never been to a financial planner. I didn't know what a financial planner was when I started to kind of dabble in the financial world. I didn't go into this thinking it was going to be another stumbling of an opera singer into another thing that they didn't know that they could make money at. So this is a, a similar story to my old story, but finding that mentorship, not only to show me what a path it could be and what a practice could look like, but also to give you that support as you try to wrap your mind around the complexity of financial planning. That's such a difficult thing to do if you don't want to work for a larger institution. Not if there's anything wrong with that. I just, I have never had a, a real job in my life. I've worked for myself my entire life. I just, I'm not quite wired for it. And so that was an amazing piece of luck really a piece of luck. And, and I give Sandy a lot of credit because she just, she knows everybody in the advice only financial planning world. And so the fact that I connected with her, that was a huge piece. I think the other piece that really helped me, and this isn't necessarily emulatable, but just the fact that I could be afford to be patient. You know, I started my blog five years ago and there was no pressure to monetize quickly. And even as I kind of ramped up my practice, because I was singing at the same time, this is a bit of a reverse story that you normally hear about, you know, somebody doing a conventional job to pay for their artistic thing. But I was using, you know, I was studying backstage at opera, on opera gigs, I was using my opera earnings in order to kind of be patient in my financial planning practice. And so I could work with the people that I really wanted to work with and kind of create the right referrals there. I didn't have to take non-ideal clients. And that's really helped me because ideal clients refer more ideal clients because they can really communicate what you need. And, and I, I feel really lucky to not have had to take anybody who wanted to work with me. And, and that's what a lot of businesses have to do. And that's like, of course they do. But that was a real privilege for me to be able to kind of slowly build within this niche, the ability to be patient. And that came from having that diversified income, which is just lucky. It's not, it's, it's, not something where you're like, everybody should do it. But the ability to be patient and the ability to have mentors was, was and is incredibly valuable.
lots of good points here. I mean, this is this is fantastic, right? I mean, the, the ability if you have basically design or create a cash flow plan that allows you to be patient. I mean, uh, let's start there. And this is really fascinating. So we actually used, uh, uh, you know, just uh, the really the uh, the other, I mean, the opera singing engagements to basically make sure that you're fine, you're okay, but at the same time you're investing in this area that that basically you want to learn learn more. You've seen that there's there's an opportunity to help a lot more people uh, that basically need need help and and. Uh, and of course, I mean, the fee-for-service world, I mean, it has been there for the last 30 years, but it has been different. And it's a very difficult you know, business model because when I mean, you don't have this kind of ongoing assets under management or commissions and so on, it's such a, on some levels, you have to be much better business owner uh, to be able to pull it off. Right. So, so, so I think the patience is really important and, uh, you know, mentorship, I mean, said it was important. It, you know, continues to be important. I mean, some of the you know best people in the business they still typically have coaches and mentors right it never really stops so lots of lots of great uh, points that you've mentioned so let's let's look, flip it to the other side i mean i'm i'm curious what are some of the some of the more biggest challenges right now that you basically are maybe not seeing but uh, but um trying to tackle right i mean because basically as you work on a business i mean there's always multiple different problems you want to solve and you want to improve the business multiple ways or enhance the business in, in, in a certain way. What are some of the things that you would want to improve in your practice over over the next little while? It's a really good question. And it kind of like, I think my brain thinks about a thousand things and, and then comes up with none. Uh, so it's definitely true. But <laughs> let me try to, uh, honestly, I think that so many businesses right now, and, and I I both hope that this will still be valid when in this this episode is released and hope it won't be, but you know, dealing with the pandemic and is is a major issue. And so since a lot of my clients are in the arts and lots of them in live entertainment or films and kind of side of things, the big pivot right now has just been to say, and this is <laughs> I say this knowing that some of your some of your listeners might roll their eyes at my artistic sensibilities, but to just say, my goal is not this year to be a profitable business, but my goal is to serve my community. To say there's going to be less money in, in the pool just because people are, this has been a huge shift. You know, you talk about whether the, the economy is going to be open in four months. When we talk about live entertainment, when are venues going to be open? Houses and theater. When are opera houses and theater companies going to be open again? People are talking about a year and a half minimum. So you talk about what, the impact is on people's, this is no longer a cash flow issue. You can have a six month emergency fund and still be really having to not only grapple with finding new sources of income and dealing with kind of the financial side, but with, do I do something completely different? And do I do something completely different for the rest of my life? Or is this a year pivot? Or what's the industry going to be when I come back? There is so much uncertainty in pockets of the arts world. Of course, there's other pockets that are not as effective, you know, uh, online visual artists, writers to a degree. I, I shouldn't say that because book releases have kind of been put off. Like everything is kind of affected by people's discretionary spending and when it, when it reduces in the environment. So how this affects my business specifically is that I'm looking right now and saying, okay, the opportunity is to really say, how do I, that there's a great need for financial support right now. There may not, and this is something that I'm learning right now, is where, how much can be afforded? And, and so how can I perhaps create different ways to work with people that are supportive, but are smaller, shorter, um, more affordable, trying to figure out what those methods are so that, and, and really, like I said, pivoting a little bit and saying, I think from a business side of, when I look at this kind of from a business side of view, I find this as an amazing opportunity to be there for people when they need it the most. 
to be there for people when they don't have the resources so that when the tap turns back on, that we've developed a relationship. It's what I want to do, but I also think it's the right business move. And so for me, kind of saying, how do I make sure I can be sustainable in our own kind of personal life and also on the business side, but also really serve this community that's going to be hurting for the next year and trying to go into listening mode here and, and to experiment for the next couple of months and then try to be a, a leader as far as this is how it works. This is kind of how it goes forward. This is not a problem that I necessarily thought I'd have two months ago. I would have answered this question very differently in January. But um, when things were more in growth mode, I, I really do think it's the time to invest in people when their need is the highest. And, I, and I, I have to believe that not only is this the reason that I started the business in the first place, but that this is the right connection move kind of going forward. Yeah, so I think, I mean, COVID-19 and the pandemic, I think this is going to be relevant for another, I don't know, 12 months, six months, uh, for sure. And, and I think a lot longer than we, everybody initially expected, so for sure. And I think I mean, lots of interesting points here. I mean, uh, for sure, I, I think ability to basically change some of the business aspects. I mean, some of the businesses are going to be probably affected forever by the pandemic. And But um, this is a really, really interesting opportunity that you know some people, some business owners may be uh, more reluctant to kind of uh, do a little bit more deep thinking about their businesses. But uh, some, some other ones, like yourself, you're thinking, okay, well, there is, I'm listening to the market right now. I am listening, seeing what's out there. I mean, there was profitability issue, right? I mean, people may... If people don't lose jobs, they don't necessarily want to spend more money. I mean, that's 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 still probably the last thing to to uh, on on their minds um, to think about. But at the same time, if you can provide value, um, I mean, and, and if there is an interesting model that can be the value can be captured, I mean, it makes sense. And you just have to basically just have to figure out what what that model is. Maybe instead of one on one coaching. It's going to be a group coaching. I don't know. People try uh, five people on Zoom call, and we're doing those Zoom calls, for example, or, or ten people, or fifteen people. It's going to be a program. There's going to be uh, self-serve, you know, course online, and so on, so we can make it more affordable. But also, it can be worthwhile your time as well. So I think this is a really interesting opportunity. And I think once, especially people who decide to invest in their businesses right now. And, and decide to really lean, help clients, and, and they may stumble upon something incredible. And uh, once this is over, I mean, first of all, the demand for financial planning is going to be probably greater than ever, I mean, general in the market. But going forward, I mean, there's some really interesting opportunities, new, new business models that can actually be created. So I think this is, uh, this is a great sign for you to actually be thinking about that. Doesn't it feel like there's a parallel with being like, you want to buy low in the market in general? Like that's the, that's the rule of underpriced. And so I feel like, you know, to use business language, isn't, isn't the acquisition of clients kind of undervalue right now? If you can, if you can go in there and really connect to people at a time that they can't necessarily, it's investing in your business. It's saying that I'm going to take a bit of a loss right now, but I really feel that kind of long-term, this investment in relationships, this is all, because this is a trust business. In financial planning, it's a trust business. And and it's such a, a an important responsibility to know that, but to step into somebody's life and say, you know, I want to be your person. I want to be your person that helps guide you through this and connect you to kind of these things. And and to have to back away from that in a moment of need, if you can as a business, of course, there's some businesses that can't. So just trying to figure out how to do it sustainably and how to do it in a way that you're not going to leave all of your people that you said you're going to be in their corner, you know, in the next year, because you can't afford to keep on going with that. But I, I, I think 
you know, we're thinking together right now. This is also new for so many of us, but that's where my brain is at right now in terms of what I'm excited to try. And I think that it is the right time for experimentation for all those things in the back of your brain where you're like, I've always wanted to try this. My brain says that it's, it's now it's time to pull the trigger on it and just try. So a couple of questions before we wrap up here. So this might be an interesting question. I mean, I, I always ask, ask, you know, what tips would you have for, for new planners joining the industry, right? And I think, I feel like, you know, I have already uh, tapped into wisdom in so many different ways. And, but if you were going to start in this industry, you know, for example, today, I mean, you started a blog five years ago, right? I mean, that was a really, really good, uh, I think a good idea, a good move. But how would you start today? Let's say there's nothing right now and you have to start over. What tips would you have for, for new planners who are thinking maybe switching from either large institution or, or trying to basically launch in the market and, and provide value, do good things for, for people and, and, and capture some of the value to build a business? Where I'm kind of a little blind is that I did not come through the financial industry. And so a lot of people, when they're looking at trying to start fee-for-service uh, practices, and, and this is something lots of people are considering, they're coming from that standard way, either from a paycheck or from assets under management. And so wrapping your brain around that transition is so different from the way that I did it, where I was transitioning from opera singing, from gig to gig, auditioning all the time to a job where, yeah, it's different, but it's also the same. I'm auditioning for clients all the time. I'm client to client. It's, it's weirdly, it's closer to go to advice only financial planning sometimes in that transition kind of income wise then the shift on the other side. I think for me, the thing that I always remind myself is this, it, it, that this is not something you can do by yourself. And I don't necessarily mean just the mentorship angle, but I also mean that this is a, a community of experts. And so if you want to be, I, I love the idea of kind of being a general practitioner. I like the idea of being somebody who can connect and say, okay, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to be your main touch point, but so much of the job, and, and lots of people know this already, but if you're coming to it new, just so much of the job is, who can you connect people with? And that's a really important thing. So I think that what I would, and consistently remind myself to do, is the importance of listening. Listening to not only your clients, what questions are they asking, what's worked, what hasn't worked constantly, just not thinking you figured it out there, but also to the traditional aspects of financial planning to say what has worked forever. Who are these experts? Who are the people that I connect with that I think my clients will connect with? And, and kind of because that there's a shared trust in that as well. That's not really answering your question. I think <laughs> it, it is to some way. It is to some way because it's, you know what, your story is so unique. And it, I think it's the story itself is actually super valuable for people to say, hey, you know, there's no excuses. I mean, if you want to start a business, if you want to be part of, uh, you know, uh, part of the industry helping people, I mean, like, there's so many different ways. I mean, you can do this more traditional way. Or you can do something similar to Chris. I mean, don't copy, don't try to copy Chris because that's probably not going to work for you exactly. But I mean, um, there is this R&D process, right? It's not research and development, but it's kind of rub and duplicate, right? So, so basically learn from somebody else and don't copy shamelessly, but just learn from what, what somebody else did and, and try to adopt it and try to make it work, right? I mean, that's a, that's a really good advice. So I always ask about some of the exciting projects. So, and it, uh, you, I kind of shared about uh, what you're going to be thinking about in your business, but is there, do you have any other, some, uh, do you have some of the projects that you're most excited in your business right now, apart from what we just discussed about uh, uh, thinking about new models and, and uh, making uh, making larger investment in the business right now in terms of uh, serving clients and and uh, maybe finding new opportunities. 
Yeah, I, I would say that the thing I would add to that, which is just a, a for fun on the side project that I've been thinking about a lot is just, I'm really, I'm a visual learner. And so I really, when I'm planning all these things, I do a lot of drawing and sketching and, and I'm really interested in finding more ways to draw financial concepts and what I would love to create. And this is something that I'm putting out in the world more these days, because maybe that will actually help me get more practical about how to create it was, is I would love to enlist artists to start creating financial art. Because one of these things that I find is a major skill set for artists and creative people is they take difficult to understand concepts and communicate them in different ways. They've done that for the giant questions of life for hundreds of years. I would love to see them take on some of the financial questions. I would love to see more financial visual art. I would love to see more financial poetry. I would love to see more financial medium so that you can engage in some of these big questions. Because as you well know, financial planning is not all technique. It's a huge, important part. It's the financial, it's the math, it's the technique part. But what makes it really complicated is these big questions. What happens when I get older? What do I want to do to support the people around me? What happens if the loved ones in my life get sick? What's important to me? What am I trying to accomplish? What am I trying to build? I want to see a better integration of these two things because one of the things that I hear from the finance side a lot is people rolling their eyes about the art of finance because there's a bit of this movement of, of just looking at that, like the feelings of finance and seemingly ignoring the technique of it. And that exists, I'll admit. But what I want to remind people outside the arts world is that what the arts are is a perfect combination and balance of extreme technical ability in order to communicate an important message. That's what opera singers, ballet dancers, actors do. They use all of this technical skill in order to make you understand with a brief flash something big that you could never wrap your mind around. And isn't that exactly what financial planning should be at its best? All of these technical skills married to these big questions that help people gain some level of clarity around things that are so difficult to wrap your mind around. I think that the arts world has a lot to learn from the financial planning and the finance world, but I think that the finance world has a lot that they can learn from the arts world. And I've been thinking a lot about how much I would love for that to exist. There's a, a little bit of an, a, a nugget of something that this is not, an, it's, it's more of a back of the napkin project right now, but that's what I've been thinking about a lot lately. That's a great place to wrap up for us. It's a great message, great project. So if there's a link or something you can share, we'll all be happy to link it up in the show notes. And I totally agree. I think, I think there's so much that the art uh, world can actually help you know, when it comes to the, the, the technicalities or, or dryness of the financial planning financial aspects. So uh, yeah, if you can pull this off, that would be fantastic. So last question. Uh, this podca podcast is all about growing your practice. Uh, so Chris, I've asked for a lot of wisdom, but do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? Just one thing. Let's all survive the next year so that we can keep on growing our practices soon. Uh, <laughs> Bad, bad wisdom. I think that uh, I don't know if I have anything specific to share kind of on top of everything that we've talked about there. I'm always uh, hesitant to adopt the mantle of being an expert at anything. I think that I have a lot to learn. My practice still feels very new. And, and from people like the people that you have on your show, I'm learning a lot still. And 
so I'm, I'll end with, with more just the sentiment that I am excited to keep on learning and, and to keep on learning in exactly that way to figure out what the right way to grow and um, not just financially and not just in reach, but also in depth with how we work with people. Fantastic piece of advice, uh, Chris. Uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe connect on the art project and, and uh, do some work with you and, uh, uh, or suggest somebody else, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now? Yeah, you can find me on regstoreasonable.com. So that's my website. There's multiple ways to contact me. You can also you find me on my social media stuff a little bit more, but through the website is, is a good way to say. And I'll just add that in addition to the planning that I do, that we've talked about already, I also offer pay what you can financial planning for lower income people, as well as offering free office hours, which are Zoom chats, half an hour long Zoom chance, usually about once a month, both of which you can find links and more information for on my website. So if you're interested in kind of looking at any of those kind of things or just emailing me, the best way to do it is through the site, ragsreasonable.com. Wonderful. We'll like it up. Chris, this was a really interesting conversation. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.